Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice, saying the same old things over and over again? Uh, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers. And here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Good morning or afternoon or evening or wherever it is, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. What's up, Mike? What's up, Nathan? How are we doing? Good. So... I thought today that we would talk about Medicaid's dirty little secrets. I like it. I like it. So does that mean that Medicare had an inappropriate relationship with Medicaid? <laughs> like an affair? Yeah, like the two programs. Oh my gosh. Go ahead. <laughs> They commingled somehow, just <laughs> funds from one went to the other, something really inappropriate. Now that's the dirty little secret we're going to air out. No, actually, um, you can find plenty of that on other probably podcasts and probably other websites and things like that. This is actually a real life thing that I've seen play out in my practice. I think that you're going to talk about how you've seen it play out in yours, but Medicaid's dirty little secret is that even though it's a program that helps pay for long-term care, um, in a lot of cases, it ends up being just a loan until the person needing care passes away, at which point somebody's, somebody's comes a knocking. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't know anything about Medicaid, they're probably hearing that and they're like, what are they talking about? So I love the article you found. Maybe let's, let's tell their story a little bit. And I think, I think that will, if you're not familiar with Medicaid, this will be a great um, introduction to why it matters to, to a lot of people who don't think it, it will ever matter to them. So um, we have a daughter and she is taking care of her mom, Edna, who um, just lost her husband and was diagnosed with, want to guess? Well, I read the article. 
but um, I'll get, I'll pretend like I don't know it. It's well, Alzheimer's. I bet, our, <laughs> I, bet our, I, I bet our listeners could have guessed Alzheimer's. And so daughter's name is Wanda and she's taking care of her mom, Edna. And at some point they have to move her into um, a, a nursing home and sign her up for the medic, the state's Medicaid program. So just to be clear for everyone, so Medicaid is, is a state program, which is not Medicare, and it pays for certain medical benefits. And one of its biggest benefits that Medicaid will pay for is a nursing home, which yeah. Medicare does not pay for a nursing home, except for in very, very limited circumstances, which we won't bore you with. But yeah, and most everybody listening to this should be familiar with Medicare. Medicare is federally subsidized health insurance for seniors. Um, but you just get that. Like any, oh, sorry. You get that based on your age and how much you, and once you hit that age, you can qualify for Medicare. Yeah. But just like any other health insurance, there's a limit to the number of bed days you have if you're sick or you're injured. And at a certain point, so say somebody falls and breaks a hip, um, if they're not recovering, there's a point where Medicare says, okay, we're done. Um, you've reached your maximum bed days. And that would happen if it was your insurance or my insurance. Um, at, at which point the family finds themselves in a position where they are coming out of pocket to pay for nursing care. What, what are the ranges of nursing care costs that you've seen recently, Mike? Yeah, I mean, every state's a little different, but it's pretty rare to see a nursing home monthly stay below 8,000 a month. Like I haven't seen below 8,000 a month in a while. And some of the nicer ones around our area are like 15,000 a month. I've heard higher numbers in other States, but yeah, I mean, it could be eight to 15 grand a month. That would not be um, out of the norm at all. Yeah. Per month. Yeah. Per month. So it adds up. So why was that a big deal for Wanda and Edna? Well, they did not have, it doesn't say what their nursing home costs, but they did not have enough to pay the nursing home each month. So they applied for Medicaid, which Medicaid will help pay for that stay um, as long as you meet their requirements. Mm -hmm. One thing that I wanted to point out kind of at the beginning is that um, that Edna's husband was a, was a Korea a vet from the Korea conflict. And so having served, and he was actually wounded in combat, um, but he would have been eligible. And there's even, there's no discussion of this. Sounds like, again, one of those situations where because the family wasn't aware and they weren't being advised by someone that was an experienced, you know, elder law attorney or other advisor, they had no idea that um, Edna would have been eligible for the uh, VA's aid and attendance pension benefit, which also helps pay for mm -hmm. long-term care and does not have this little dirty secret we're going to talk about, the component of the dirty little secret to it. So that veteran money could have come in very handy here if they'd known about it, but never knew about it, never applied. 
lost yeah, opportunity. It. Yeah, lost got opportunity. It. Yeah, to the tune of about $24,000 a, a year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it would have been super helpful. Fifteen dollars to $25,000 a year they could have been using to help pay for care, and they just... Mm -hmm never knew about it it looks like that's that's disappointing we're gonna do a whole episode on that because there's one thing that frustrates me is the lack of education on some of the VA benefits and so and the amount of misinformation there is and some of the shocking things families have told me they've heard when they've called and talked to the <laughs> VA directly so we'll talk we'll, we'll have to do a whole episode on that or a couple so yeah, calling the VA to ask for information about the VA benefit would be like calling the IRS and asking them for tax advice. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll tell you something, but <laughs> it's pr probably, probably not, not be in your favor. It's probably not what you need to know. So, yeah. so, so this, this article here uh, says that a little bit after she put her mom in, Nathan, that um, she heard a rumor about the state robbing people of their homes is this the dirty little secret you were talking about or just say robbing robbing people it does say robbing people yeah robbing people of their yeah homes. that's what i'm talking about so edna's husband when he died when edna's husband died so wanda's father when he died he had life insurance that paid off the mortgage and he died believing that he'd left Edna a house that was paid for, that she owned free and clear. And she did own it free and clear for a while. Um, but yeah, says, she says, was in care, I believe, for five years. Well, this story is kind of unique because like it, it, it has kind of, kind of some weird twist to it. But yeah, I think to keep it simple, I think it was about five years. She was on Medicaid for five years. And, and so when she ended up passing away, um, there was a lien that was filed against her house for, I believe it was 198, in fact, I can tell you the exact amount, $198,660.26. That's and a big deal. Her a statement that showed every band-aid, every can of insure, every medical item that was used. So like they kept track of every little thing that was used to care for Edna and they leaned her house. And I think the house was only worth about $200,000. So essentially this lien would equate to robbing the family of the entire house. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're, if you just, if you just spent, well, the thing that makes this story a little more um, sad <laughs> to say the least is mm -hmm. so after she heard that rumor about the state robbing the people from their home, she, she did some research and she found out that Medicaid can put a lien on the home for the care that they provided or for the expenses Medicaid provided and so she called, so, so at that point she took her mom out of the nursing home and she brought her home and then she took care of her for several years after that. Now, 
her mom was still on Medicaid for other medical items. So mm -hmm. she was on Medicaid for five years, but not all of it was in the nursing home. Only part of it was the nursing home. Mm -hmm. And she even called the state and said, Hey, like, I don't, I don't want this lien on the home. Um, is there anything I can do? And they said, yeah, take her, take her out of the nursing home and bring her home and we'll remove the lien. And so the state actually put the lien on right when she went into the nursing home and then they took it off when they brought her home, but she didn't realize, and they never told her that they'll put it back on when their when her mom passes away, they'll put the lien back on. Of course they didn't. I'm sure it was written somewhere that they could reinstate the, the lien after she passed but they didn't tell her that so she took she took her out of the nursing home believing that the lien would go away forever yeah and she took her home and started caring for her and then another twist it seems like the things we talk about on our podcast these situations are just which is why we're doing this right because we don't want our listeners or anyone if we can help it ending up in these situations but at the same time that she's caring for Edna at home, Wanda, the daughter, um, also has to start taking care of her own husband, who yeah. was diagnosed with, I don't care that you've read the article, I want you to guess, <laughs> if you've not read the article, what do you think he was diagnosed with? He was probably diagnosed with some type of dementia or Alzheimer's. It was Alzheimer's. So she's carrying, so, so Nailed tell it. me you've seen this before or haven't. You did nail it. Um, what's it like, what's it been like for clients that you've worked with, Mike, that are taking care of one person at home that has Alzheimer's? Oh, it's hard. It's, it's not just, it's not just the um, physical part of it, right? Being a caregiver, like you know, cause you're cooking for this person and a lot of times you're helping them get dressed. Sometimes you're helping them even shower. You're doing everything for this person. Right. So well, bathing and probably even some diaper toilet type sometimes. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the case here. But then you have the emotional part and like, and that comes with that disease a lot of times changes the person's personality and someone who might be the sweetest person in, you ever knew the kindest person never said a bad word about anything is now cussing you out and telling you you're a horrible person and accusing you of doing crazy things because of the paranoia part of it. And, and that is going on sometimes every day. Yeah. And we're not talking like, figuratively cussing out like we're talking a parent that you never heard swear once in their life when they were well and they're dropping f-bombs and calling you every name in the book and telling you that you are trying to hurt them or that you're trying to steal from them or I mean I've heard just the saddest things that <laughs> so super hard physically to take care of someone um very intense type of care. It's basically 24 seven, you're on duty. Um, draining emotionally, difficult to watch your family member deteriorate in that fashion. Now what happens when we double that and make it two people at home that she's taking care of, her mom and her husband? Yeah, you can't imagine that. I mean, she, 
I mean, I kind of got a sick pit in my stomach when I thought about this poor lady and what she was dealing with at her in her home. Well, then it actually even gets worse, Nathan. <laughs> Tell me how. Wait, there's more. <laughs> so after she got the state, after she brought her mom home and got the state to remove the lien, the home was outdated, right? Like it was kind of, it needed a lot of repairs. So she took her own money, her and her husband, Wanda and her husband, they took their own money and put about a hundred thousand worth into updating the home and remodeling it. Edna's home, her mom's home. Ed, Edna's home. Yeah. So they, mm -hmm. cause they anticipated inheriting that home when her mom passed away and it is part of the dirty little secret. And they, they anticipated you know, being there to take care of her and they wanted it to be a good, nice environment for them and for her. And uh, so they did they didn't just put a little bit of their own money in it. They put a hundred thousand dollars of their own money in it, which was basically most of what they had put away. Sounds like, yeah, it doesn't say for sure, but I think it's most of what they had. Mm -hmm. With the idea that we'll get this back because we're going to get this house back. We'll, we'll get this house when mom passes. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it'd be nice. Like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to just, I'm just going to get my equity back out of the house and get and the state can take the rest, but you can't do that because state's in first position on the lien. You can't get a loan against the property because of the lien. You can't do a line of a home equity line of credit against the home because of the lien. And so you're really stuck until you can, you're stuck with the property until you can deal with that lien. Yeah. So this would be a good time, Nathan, to kind of talk about our awesome disclaimer. Although we are attorneys, um, everything we talk about on this podcast is not meant to be legal advice for you. And so this is just for education purposes. And so make sure that you get independent advice for your situation. So with that being said, Nathan, what, what do you think? I mean, this article has a couple other stories where this happened to other people and not the exact same fact pattern, but similar, similar shock and surprise that the, the state could attach a lien. Is this something that is rare, an isolated incident? No. Um, and in fact, like what are there five or six different, states jurisdictions mentioned where the scenario is played out essentially the same exact way <clears throat> it's not rare and um we've seen it in our own practice uh, more times than than i'd like to admit mm -hmm. I mean, you've handled recently i can recall at least two cases of a state recovery. Let's use that word now. We haven't used that word. So a state recovery is the terminology that's used when Medicare, sorry, Medicaid um, comes back after somebody's been in care and the state has been paying for that care and they've kept track of every Band-Aid and every bottle of Ensure and every other thing that was used. And that's when they place the lien, that's called a state recovery, meaning they're gonna recover the tax dollars that were used to pay for that person's care from the estate of that person after they pass away. Um, and I can remember at least 
two cases where you um, dealt with a state recovery um, that involved liens. Yeah, and it's interesting, like in this article, you know, they, they, had, they obtained counsel to try to help them fight the lien and get it off. And um, they haven't really been, they haven't been successful based on these articles and every state. So, so Medicaid is a federal program that's left to each state to implement in a way they want to, but they have to do it within kind of the federal rules. So every state has to have an estate recovery program and every state usually has a statute that says how they're going to implement that estate recovery. And so some of them are more aggressive about it than others and others will do the lean while the person is living. Others just wait till they die. So there's a lot of little nuances, but like what we found when we've challenged these liens is that um, if the family didn't do some pre-planning and to have some forethought that this was coming, we can only get, you know, limited success on challenging these liens, right? So like one person I helped, you know, they, the, the state wanted, you know, about $100,000 from the property. That's what the care was. And um, we were able to, you know, we were able to, we had to go all the way to the judge and we had to, we had to take it basically all the way to the court and have the judge weigh in on it. But um, in one case, because of a mistake by the state, we were able to get the lien completely removed, right? Like the state let all the money go to my client. It helps that my client was the sweetest little lady you ever met and was very sympathetic. And so we were lucky enough to give the judge a really good legal argument that the state didn't follow the rules. And because of that, they don't get to keep their lien. And um, so we won that case. But you know what? Nice. Uh, the statute's been amended and they've closed that. They've closed that. Um, I don't want to call it, it wasn't a loophole, but they, they, they fixed the statute so that legal argument's not there anymore. Well, that's great. So you helped one person, but you closed the loophole for the rest of the country. I don't yeah. find it's nice work anymore. <laughs> I ruined it for everyone else. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you were glitching a little bit there, so hopefully our audience no, could, no, could no, hear everyone. You had to. That's that was. But yeah, right. So uh, that one was great. Sorry, what did I miss? What did you miss? Um, you know, I th I it was just really glitchy, so I don't I don't know if we could hear exactly what you said there, but I think you were getting to the point. You were just making the point that we we were able to help that person, but now by helping that person, the door closed for everyone else who wants to try to make that. And that happens. You draw attention to a mistake that they made and they'll change the law. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, well, make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So, so the other, the other time we had to help someone, like we didn't have any, you know, the state followed all the rules. And so we, you know, within those rules, we were, you know, we were able to get the family to be able to keep about 30,000 of the 100,000 that was there, right? And the rest went to the state. And um, which is better than nothing, but that's, you know, that was still disappointing for them because they really could have used and needed the money. And mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was hard for them not to be able to keep that. But the bottom line is, like 
all of the people we've helped fight the liens, if they would have done some pre-planning, the liens wouldn't even have been an issue. Yeah, so there's a statement here that, um, and you made, you made mention of this earlier with regard to the VA benefit, but that one of the reasons that the state recovery works so well is that so few people know about it or understand how it works or even know that it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean there's, what kind of, what are you talking about when you say pre-planning? How could somebody plan in a way that would make it difficult or impossible for the state to come back and lean the property? And is it legal to do that kind of planning? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So I kind of look at it like this, Nathan. I, I mean, like each year I, I file my taxes, right? And I have a CPA that clarifies what I can deduct and what I can't deduct. And I have two options. I can just, you know, not get advice from that CPA and just not deduct anything and just, you know, report everything as being income and not take the deductions that the law allows and I can pay more taxes or I can, you know, get the right advice and find out exactly what the law um, allows me to deduct and I can pay the amount of taxes that the law allows. And that's similar with Medicaid, like Medicaid has certain rules and they say, if you follow these rules, then we won't or can't do a state recovery. And if you don't follow these rules, then we can. And so people have the same choice. They can just not do any planning and they'll just pay what they pay or they can do planning and they can minimize what they have to pay. And yeah, so these are not loopholes that are exploited that, that we're helping people exploit illegally. Congress and states, jurisdictions everywhere allow people to plan in one form or another. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly like what you said that it's just like taking deductions and doing things that you're allowed to do under the tax rules. If we follow the Medicaid guidelines, we can help people plan in a way that's legal, but in a way that's going to be very effective in um, preserving an asset after somebody's been on a Medicaid program and, and passed away. Exactly. And the thing about the rules that make this a little different than the, kind of the tax example I gave was these, they, they, they set most of the rules up of we're fine with people doing planning, but we're not okay with doing people doing planning um, once, once they need the care. Most of the planning options mm. have, are gone once someone gets diagnosed with the illness and need to actually go on Medicaid. There's a few you know, things you can still do, but most of the best um, protection strategies have to be done years in advance of someone actually needing the care. And that's what also trips people up because we all think we're not going to need care. We're going to be able to just be at home, taken care at home. We're not going to need any extra benefits. It's going to be fine. But the statistics say a very different story. What actually this article said how many people use it, right? How many people use Medicaid or how many people plan? How many people use Medicaid? Here it is. I remember that. So in 1994, Medicaid was paying about 137 billion for care. So in 1994, in 2017, 
it went from 137 billion to 577 billion. So, so that is, um, and that's, you know, the baby boomer boomers needing more care. And then it also in this article also says that Medicaid pays about 50% of the nation's nursing home residents. So 50% of the people who go in a nursing home don't have enough money that, to pay all of the expenses. And so Medicaid kicks in. Um, and there's, and so you could expect that about half those people, uh, uh, about, that same number of people, 50% of nursing home residents are going to be facing a state recovery situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I want to go back to something that you said just a second ago. Um, okay. You said that once care is needed, planning becomes more difficult. Mm -hmm. We actually have a term that we use around here for that type of planning. It's, we call it crisis planning. Yep. So when you show up and you make a phone call and you talk to an advisor, um, we don't even handle um, crisis planning because it's such a different animal than pre-planning. Um, and crisis planning essentially is working with like a certified Medicaid planner to make the spend down as effective as possible for the family, meaning you're going to use a ton of the assets paying for the care and you're still possibly going to face some estate recovery even after the fact, but at least you're going to do it in a way that maximizes the benefit that you're getting for the money that's being spent. Yeah. Or another way to look at it is the crisis planning. You're trying to, you're trying to make the money you have last as long as you can and make sure that when it does run out, you can get Medicaid to, yeah in that you're more more readily accepted onto the program mm -hmm. um, that you your eligibility is in line and so forth whereas pre-planning so give us an example of you know how long how far in advance of needing care would a pre-plan be effective and what does that look like yeah so i'll give you a good example of someone i helped recently like they had um you know, they, they had social security. That's it. That's the only income, right? So between the two of them, they're getting a little more than 3000 a month. So obviously a nursing home would be way more. Mm -hmm. So, and most of their assets. Um, so, so social security doesn't quite cover all their expenses. So they use some of their retirement, right? So they have an IRA um, and, and then they have some other investment. So the so total, they have about 250,000 in investments. So not tons. Yeah. And then they have a home. Yeah. Is it paid for? It is paid for, which, which helps a lot for okay. them in their budget. So for them, let's say the husband gets dementia and eventually the wife can't take care of him at home anymore. And he goes into a nursing home and let's say he's just in there for a couple of years. Um, and so in a couple of years, let's say she had to spend half of that retirement money on his nursing home, right? Because she's still at home. So she still has all her normal expenses. She still has her utilities, food, all her normal expenses, plus the nursing home. So usually um, you, you have to dip right into the savings for almost all the nursing home costs. And so let's say he, he needed a nursing home for a couple of years. And so she, she used up half of the retirement money. So after he passes away, 
So how much would be half approximately in that instance? So she would have 150 left instead of. So she spent $150,000. Yeah. Over the course of two years paying for his care. Yeah. Well, there's a punch in the gut. Yeah. So she, so he passes away. She loses part of her income, right? Because they don't get to keep all of their social security. They just get to keep who's at whoever's social security is higher. So her income goes down. She doesn't have the 300,000 she thought she would have. She's now at 150 and most of her expenses are the same, maybe a little less on food and maybe a little less on in insurance and medical costs, but most of her costs are the same, but she's the person who's going to live till 95. So she's going to live another 10, 15, 20 years and mm -hmm. hope that this 150,000 gets her there, right? So if she would have done planning and you need to do it at least five years before you think you would need any care, if she would have done her planning correctly, then when her husband went into the nursing home, she could have applied for Medicaid right away. They could have helped pay for his care. And then when he passed away, she could have had the full 300,000 there to make sure she didn't, she doesn't run out of money. Plus the value of the house. Plus the value of the house. Mm -hmm. And now she could, now depending on what state she's in, when they may have put a lien on that house, right? When he passed away for that, if, if Medicaid, so let's say Medicaid did help her um, and she didn't have to use her 150,000. Well, Medicaid could have put a lien on that house when he passed away. So if she would have done her pre-planning correctly um, and her home was owned by what we kind of refer to here as an asset protection trust because it protects what the, whatever is inside the trust. Mm -hmm. If she would have had an asset protection trust, then the state couldn't attach a lien to the home and he would have been able to get the care he needed and she would have had enough money to get through her retirement. And whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say that there's a type of trust out there that if you own, I'm, I'm feigning surprise here. As if I don't know, because <laughs> I've helped. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked, even though I've helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people do this, but there's a type of, our listeners will be potentially surprised. Shocked. <laughs> there's a trust that if I own my house, in that trust, there's no way that Medicaid could come and lean that after my husband or I pass away, even if my husband racked up a $300,000 care bill on a Medicaid program. The answer to that is yes, Nathan. Wow. Yeah, which is a big deal, you know, for, for some people. That's, and that's not a loophole. That's not an illegal exploitation of a loophole. This is... Again, feigning surprise. <laughs> You're good at it, Nathan. You're good yeah. at it. <laughs> you would think it would Medicaid be, but no. Allow for this. Explain that to them. They look at me and they go, are you going to get us from jail if we do this? And I say, no, I don't, I'm not getting anybody thrown in jail. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to lose my law license. I don't want you to go to jail. No one's going to jail. This is, in fact, I point out that the Medicaid guidelines actually talk about this, that it's not a loophole. It's a legitimate planning strategy that they're aware of and that they allow. But the key is it has to be done in advance for it to work properly. 
And in some cases, most cases, needs to be done five years in advance. So if we're talking to people, you know, when one of them's already gone into care, that ship has sailed. So the time, so when is it, when's a good time to start talking about Medicaid or long-term care pre-planning? When should somebody start talking about that, Mike? Is it the same for everybody? What, what are the general guidelines? What are the, what are some of the differences? Well, I don't know what you tell your client, but I, but I tell them it depends on how you think your health is going to hold up. And then, um, I would, I wouldn't wait past 70. Like, even if you think you're going to live to 90, you gotta, I wouldn't wait past 70. So most of my clients, I recommend early sixties, they yeah. start getting really serious about pre so about retirement age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or maybe even a little bit sooner and maybe people already have some, you know, existing planning in place, but should they assume that that existing planning is going to accomplish what we could accomplish with an asset protection trust? So there was a family that called us a couple years ago and their, their loved one just went in a nursing home and they were getting ready to play, apply for Medicaid. And they're like, oh, per, you know, we're good. Like our, we got a trust in place and the house is in there. So we're going to be good. And the state came back and said, nope, you do not qualify. And once, once you're, because you have too much assets in your trust, you don't qualify. And also um, when, when they came to talk to me about it, I also explained to them that is true. And also what is true is when you do qualify, they're going to attach a lien to this house. And even though it's in a trust, no, it's in trust. It's not an asset protection trust. Exactly. And they're like, but the attorney, when we talked and set it up with this attorney, like he said, is going to protect the home from the state. And, and this is, Oh man, dude. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, will you riff on that for a minute? Yeah. And this is a big problem is the way that we talk about estate planning. Not we. Right. Unless you're talking about the greater we. I'm talking about just as a society, the way as a society, but, and maybe we should be more specific the way a lot of other attorneys talk about estate planning. It's confusing for families of what they're really doing in their planning. And um, so when I talk to families about their, if, if we need to be having a discussion about pre-planning to protect their assets against long-term care, and they've met with other attorneys before, usually they're like, shocked that the other attorneys never brought this up to them because it's such a big deal. And, it, and the money that you can lose or keep is so, so substantial. They're just like shocked, but this is a confusing people hear about probate, right? Like I want to avoid probate. And a lot of people hear this concept that if, if I go to probate, then some of my money's going to go to the state. Right. And so when they do their trust planning or their estate planning, they, they remember that they were doing their planning so that some of their money doesn't go to the state, but they're really just thinking about it in a probate context. And so a lot of people walk away confused thinking I'm protected from the state and in the context of probate you are, but in the context of if you go to a nursing home, like your client. So so your client that said, Hey, we're good. We've had everything in a trust for more than five years. We're protected from the state. What, what did the attorney mean when he said they're protected from the state? 
Yeah, he just meant that if they go to, they won't have to go through probate when their parent passes away. But he he didn't he he, he wasn't even thinking about long term care, Medicaid, estate recovery, asset protection. There's a good chance, unless he was an elder law attorney, he didn't even understand. He didn't even know there was a state recovery. Mm-hmm. There's really good. Because mm-hmm. every time, mm-hmm. every attorney is willing to draft you a trust, but they're not. It's it's not their niche. They they haven't researched these issues or dealt with them with clients, so they're just not aware to bring it up. So, mm-hmm. but families are becoming more aware, and like this article is a good example where you know someone did tell Wanda that the state could be taking her home if she left her mom on Medicaid. So it's becoming a more of an issue that people are aware of, which is good because that that's really at the end of the day, what we just think everyone needs to do. You need to just be aware of the risks and then decide if you're okay, just using your own money and your own resources to pay for your long-term care in your nursing home, or if you're going to need some help to pay for that. And then, you know, how important is it to leave assets to your kiddos, right? Or to your spouse? Like, do you need to make sure you save some of that? Or is it okay if you use it all on a nursing home? Well, and not only that, but do you want to use it all on a nursing home when the rules would allow you to not do that? I mean, people have paid into this program with every paycheck they ever received their entire lives. Um, mm-hmm. What if I want to rely on that and say, hey, I, you know, I worked hard and, and helped build that program. I want to rely on it a little bit. And I've, if I have to use every dime, I will, but I'd really like not to. Is there anything wrong with that? No, no, exactly. And that's, that's a big part of it, right? Like I've worked and saved my whole life for this. And you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to leave it to my kids. Mm-hmm. That was tough. Super tough. And it's, and when they find that out, it's like one of the worst moments in their life, right? They're, they had to go to a nursing home. Like no one ever wants to go. Like everyone says I will never go, but then life sometimes requires it. But, and so you're not, you're, so you find out you have to go to a nursing home, which you never wanted to. And then you find out that your kids aren't going to get the assets that you worked your whole life saving for them. And that's, that's where you're at. And that really. Yeah. And I think one of the sad things about this is that um, the thought of going into a facility is so um, traumatic for people to think about, or they've seen somebody have to do it. And then when you talk, talk about the cost, it's almost like people have this reaction of like, they just, they don't, want to listen anymore. Uh, you could say they want to stick their head in the sand, but I don't even think it's that they're, you know, trying to, it, it's just, it's so hard to wrap your head around it without the proper type of advisor helping you and helping you make it more manageable. That I think that's the way, that's the way that, you know, we end up with half the people or more that are, in this situation that haven't, they haven't done any pre mm-hmm. So I think what we need to also point out is while this is sounding like it's kind of an overwhelming thing, it's actually the process of putting a plan in place in advance, a pre-plan is, 
it's such an awesome experience to be able to sit down and know that you've got some protections in place and that you've got things lined up and you sleep better at night knowing that, you know, we're not just ignoring that potential problem down the road of, are we going to have enough money to pay for our care? And earlier you mentioned, you know, asking your clients how you think their health's going to hold out. I do that a little bit, but I don't think anybody has a crystal ball. Like I always say, it'd be nice if we had a like panel on our back that somebody could open it up and they could say, okay, it looks like you got about 32 more years. Um, <laughs> you'll spend five of those in a nursing facility um, and you'll need this type of care. Like, wouldn't that be nice? But we don't have that. What we do have, and one of the questions I do ask people is like, what's the genetic family history? Because if you've got somebody who they have Alzheimer's on both sides or some other genetic problem that they're predisposed to that, then maybe they need to, uh, I mean, that'd be an indicator of somebody that needs to, to talk to somebody immediately, regardless of how old they are. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you, there are ways you can look at it, but then again, the rule of thumb is around retirement time, regardless of what other planning you already have in place, it's time to revisit that planning with an experienced elder law attorney that's going to act as a trusted advisor and walk you through how to put a pre-plan in place in a way that's not overwhelming and that gets you some peace of mind and leaves you with some confidence that even though you don't have this fancy um, long-term care plan that's going to kick in and pay for everything, long-term insurance plan, which most people don't have, there are other ways to plan and we can help with that using asset protection trusts. Yeah. And I'm going to add one thing to that, Nathan, like the statute allow it's the statute says, Hey, this, if the trust meets these requirements, we will a not statute. do it. What is a statute? Um, it's like a statue, but it's statute. <laughs> so yeah, it's a law a law, but so all the rules, right. All the rules around this, there's federal and state, but they, they real, they're really clear. Like if the trust does not meet these requirements, we can do a state recovery. We can deny them from even qualifying for Medicaid. And so there's, so, so it's crucial that you do it right. And honestly, I would, if the elder law attorney I would work with, I would ask them, you know, has the state ever reviewed your trust? And if so, what was their opinion of it? Um, because like, push comes to shove at the end of the day, that's, that's a big deal. And obviously the state could take change their position on a rule or say, we now interpret the rules differently and they could still, you know, try to try to give someone a hard time. But like if the state's never looked at their trust and never kind of determined how they feel about it, then, you know, I would, I would maybe ask a few other attorneys if they have, because you, you really want that peace of mind that the plan will work. And so, so we actually had a client two months ago who um, did a pre-plan and then their loved one needed Medicaid and they're on Medicaid for several years and then they passed away. And then the state sent them a letter saying, we're going to do a state recovery. And we understand that there's an account that's owned by this trust and we want um, that money needs to come to us. And so the client obviously called me really concerned and I, I was really surprised I got the letter because it was um, an asset protection trust. So how long had it been in place? It has been in place about, I did it about six years ago, maybe seven years ago. Okay. So, um, so I'm like, 
That's weird. So I sent a letter to the state recovery office, the person who was in charge of this case. And I just referenced the state law and referenced the parts of the trust that satisfy the state law. And um, a couple of weeks later, my client got the letter where the state said, "Never mind, we aren't leaning the, we can't, we can't lean it because the law doesn't allow it." Right? A nasty attorney letter? Is that what you did? No, mine had like smiley faces on it. It was like. Well, that's the nice thing about this, right? Is when you've done things properly in advance, you don't have to be a jerk about you just point out that, hey, here's the rule. Here's what we did. We followed it. And you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. Or you're not able to effectuate an estate recovery against this family. Yep, exactly. Smiley and so face. It was just, it was, it, you know, it's a very, like, yeah, it's, it, there's no concern. I that knew, I knew, that. I knew you did not send. I knew you did not send an FCA because we don't send those kinds of letters. But, um, but it's nice that you're able to send something that the response was, okay, never mind. We're not going to even try. Yeah, Nathan, you're cutting out really bad. So sorry to our listeners. But um, yeah, essentially what Nathan was just confirming is that that's, that's, that's really important and nice to be able to know that the rules were followed. And so if something unexpected comes up later, you can, you can just put it to bed and your client can move on and not stress about it. And like in this article, poor Wanda, this has been going on, it sounds like for a couple, um, couple of years for her. And it's just been this ongoing nightmare and stress. And that's, that's what you don't want. So, well, Nathan, we probably should wrap it up. Any last words or tips on Medicaid's dirty little secret? Um, no, just to say that the sooner you plan to avoid Medicaid's dirty little secret, the more options are out there to put in place so that you can sleep better at night, knowing you're not going to be in this nightmare scenario that we just laid out for this family that unfortunately had to go through this really difficult thing. Awesome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.